issues of sexuality and things that they don't know how to deal with. Schools are now wanting to address the issues of sexuality when the child has no mentality to be able to rationalize what is their sexuality or what is the proper norm to address, correct? Um, we are pushing our own narrative on children. And so instead of giving them the opportunity to to flourish. Hello, and welcome to The Riley June Show. Tune in two times a week for episodes that will inspire you to take charge of your life with a faith-based outlook. On this podcast, we explore insight, guidance, tools, and scripture from myself and world-renowned guests to help you improve the quality of your money, relationships, health, business, and self, Holy Spirit-led from the inside out. I have had the honor in supporting thousands of women across the world over the previous six years. My goal is to support women and mothers in finding truth, depth, grace, and education as they step empowered into healing, faith, and striving for more in their lives today. Ready to see yourself and life through the promises God has designed for you. Come prepared with a paper and pen as you transform and set your eyes on the kingdom God has created for you. Are you ready? Let's dig in. This meeting is being recorded. Hello, beautiful souls, and welcome back to another session. I am so excited to have Cynthia Hale here with us today. I hope I'm saying your last name correctly. Um, uh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, but that's good. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yay. Symphony Hale. I like to just g give it a shot, you know? And uh, you guys, Symphony, um, Symphony has a beautiful, beautiful background. And we're going to be digging in this today because, you know, we like to talk about life coaching. We develop our businesses in the realms of supporting others. And uh, without further ado, Cynthia, can you let us know just who you are and I guess uh, an oversight of what you do in this world? And I have some really powerful questions to dig in with you. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, my name is Cynthia Pagan-Hale. Um, I am a cognitive behavioral um, life coach therapist. I am a psychodynamic psychotherapist. Um, I am a global goodwill ambassador, a world peace ambassador. Um, I am an author. Um, uh, just recently, um, my children's book also got nominated um just recently top 40 um in amazon now my my book's also going to be in uh walmart top walmart right now i'm super excited for the children's book because i don't think we reach out to kids enough um uh I'm also the national director for the National Domestic Violence Rally um, that we do every single year in front of the Washington Capitol. We've been doing this for about 
seven years now. This is our seventh year. And we're, we're going to be doing a walkathon from the Washington White House, uh, from the White House to the Washington Capitol. Um, so that's pretty good to draw uh, attention to the issues of domestic violence. I was a domestic violence military victim of domestic violence 29 years ago, 28 years ago, sorry guys, 28 years ago. And um, I draw um, attention and trying to change policies for people who've been domestically abused, human traffic, sex traffic, but most of all for those who've been sexually assaulted in the military. Um, and so I try to draw attention to those, but most, most definitely try to, uh, help, uh, those who need help and, uh, we need to draw attention to coaching and therapy and bringing hope, uh, where it's needed. Yeah. 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 Oh my goodness. I wanted to leave you the opportunity to share your background because it's such a colorful and decorated background. And I think that that's something that I want to start with. And it's, you know, for you, what you, you kind of mentioned that you went through a, a traumatic experience. And so why did that lead you into the world of essentially wanting to take on not only the education component of understanding the effects on that, but also the support, but then also going out to pursue that as a passion and a career in your life. You know, um, when my sons and I were domestically abused, um, many victims, uh, first we're victims and we are survivors. Um, we, and, and that's what FFT helping others means. It means uh, family, friends, and togetherness because we really can't get better without each other. And we found ourselves very, very alone. We did when we were um, in the aspects of trying to look for help, trying to look for wellness. We found ourselves very aspects where um, people just didn't know how to approach us. And uh, even my children, because they were um, going through trauma, they didn't know how to approach that. And so that got me into the understanding that I needed to really go and educate myself so that I'm able to help those who are in need. Because we are dealing with such trauma in this world, especially child abuse, molestation, we're dealing with sexual assault, uh, we're dealing with other underlining conditions, we cannot heal those people until we go through the borderlines of what those conditions are. And then once we are able to help and heal those conditions, then we can progress to give them goals, set guidelines, help them to, you know, be able to walk through those uh, mitigated things in their lives. But really, we have to get through those underlining issues first. And that's what helped really look at, you know, really helped me to look at when I was going through this, I saw so many women, so many kids that were dealing with this and had nowhere to turn. Uh, where do I go to? Who I talk to? Uh, where do my directions go? So that's really what made me go and educate myself, you know? Um, and that's why I speak in a lot of 
places too. I, I fly and I speak to police officers. I speak to uh, mental health summits and things because we don't know what it is to have these traumatic experiences and be trauma informed, really be trauma informed through this. Wow. Such a beautiful choice to make to rise, rise above your experience and to live in a passion where you get to help hopefully prevent, if not help that person find hope um, beyond their circumstance. And I'd love to uh, dig into this next question here for a moment, because when it comes to mental health, physical health, um, you know, especially when we're in traumatic states and situations, um, how do I want to ask this question is it's really under the preface of escapism. And so I know that there's multiple levels that we could really address this type of a question, but you know, just whatever comes to you first, when someone's in those types of experiences, whether it be sexual abuse, they're a child, they're an adult, it's physical abuse, it's mental abuse. It's, you know, they, they don't want to be there, but escapism or denial tends to be their comfort zone. What is, what is your approach? And again, I know this is a loaded question. So just, you know, what comes to you, but what is your approach to helping them to first see that they're trying to escape or deny their reality, but then two, you know, take, I always say one degree shifts at a time steps to move away and out of the current state that they're in. Yeah. So first you have to look at the environment that they're in. Um, we really have to decide and, and look at what are you going through at the moment? What is causing you to be able to not leave your situation? Um, because a lot of individuals, um, either they have a pattern of behavior that they're not able to leave that situation. Many individuals who are, are being abused um, have a, a, a situation in which they don't want to leave because of the children. They're not able to leave because uh, they are dependent on their perpetrator because they are disabled. Many are dependent on the other abuser because both of them are dependent on each other because they have alcoholism or they are drug addicted. Some have uh, a behavior of financial issues. And so the, the mom or the individual is dependent on the perpetrator and feels like they cannot leave because of that. Others can't leave because of the situation, whether it be a migrational issue where they, they depend on the individual because they are here and they um, are immigrants they uh, they don't are legal illegally here, and so we have to really look at the underlining issue of what what can we start off with? Let's start off small because a lot of times we want to push them far and push them strong, and then that person retreats into their little shell, like like you know, kind of like a turtle. They go, no, 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 that's too fast, too strong, I can't. So starting them off slowly and saying, okay, what, what we can do today, let's start slow today, you know, and we can't 
You can't push an individual to put their hand to the door and say, I want you to leave today. That one can cause them to one, lose their lives. Yeah. Two, it can cause and put the harm of their children in danger. And three, it can put anybody who's helping them or their family in danger. So we have to be careful on pushing an individual's life too fast uh, to try to get out of a situation. This, this could be anything, whether it be domestic violence or child abuse, uh, or it could be human or sex trafficking. And without the proper authorities too, without being able to know exactly what we're doing, exactly what we're gonna do with this individual, whether we're going to transfer them to a transitional home, get them to the proper direction, help them to get bus tickets. And if we don't have these things correct, by having them a proper exit plan, um, this person could really potentially be in danger. We're risking their lives. Um, and so a lot of times people who do this kind of job, advocates who do this kind of job without proper training um, can potentially put a life in danger. We have to be really careful about what is said. That's why I always tell people, do not put an exit plan online and never tell people an exit plan online. Because if you do, you're explaining to a perpetrator what is going on in that person's home. Got to be careful, you know. So starting off slow, no pushing, no shoving, because sometimes that person might be ready she might be or he might be going through trauma physiologically psychologically um, mentally there might be things that you know you can be traumatized and physiologically going through things and so we have to really start small just start small uh what can what can we do today that might help you um how can we better shift your mentality how can we maybe get to a better place with the perpetrator and then maybe get you started to get to maybe collect money, start putting things in a savings account of your child. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. Let's start maybe putting and photocopying, you know, birth certificates, putting it away somewhere where a perpetrator won't know. So making sure that we don't tell exit plans is, is primary. Are you an online entrepreneur sick of having all the subscriptions to host your experiences that you offer online? From email funnels to analytics to see what's really working, your courses, your content, your websites, all the things, and you're looking for a more user-friendly platform to host everything in one place. You're going to want to jump on Kajabi, the number one online entrepreneur platform that allows you to host everything in one place. This all-in-one platform allows you to be able to not only build your business online, but grow your business online. And they have some really fun 
new features like their communities and app-related community experience so you can take your Facebook group into a more exclusive place as well as their AI course generator where you can get a clearly defined outline for the program you can't wait to launch and plug in your expertise. Kajabi is my absolute favorite platform. I've been using it for three and a half years now, and I have no end in sight when it comes to growing my business online. You can experience 30 days for free with the link in the show notes, and I highly recommend that you check it out if you're not already there. One, it's a great way for you to build in an affiliate option into your business as well. Kajabi makes running your business fun, efficient, and user-friendly. Join today. That's primary. I really love everything that you're saying. And, and you guys can't see the, the video of this, but I'm sitting over here nodding my head like frivolously because I <laughs> often watch a lot of new coaches, you know, people who genuinely intend to help others. They love the dynamic of relationship coach. They're in a healthy relationship. They overcame a narcissistic partner at one point, And they're like, I'm going to build a life building a business online and supporting women with this. And what they don't realize, or even men with this, and what they don't realize is that when you start dealing with people's trauma, if you don't have the skills equipped to actually know how to handle when someone's triggered, when someone's in a panic attack, when someone is in just like a hypervigilant state, or, you know, on top of it, if they have ADHD, if they have autism, if they have all these other factors going on, and none of this stuff was pre-assessed, and we have no idea how to navigate or deal with this, that yes. going in with the genuine intention to help people, though noble and beautiful, can be more harmful than not. And I really so love what you're saying, because one, you have to start with the training you you you're dealing with people's psyches and mentalities and lives and especially when you get into re even if you don't do pre-assessments which you always should um but if you don't and you find out that that person is in a really dire state and they want help they don't want this and and usually they're coming at it because they can't afford the actual help the licensed help or they um well, oh, what was the other one? It was, uh, they can't afford the licensed help or they want to know how to fix their predator. They want to know how to fix the person because they don't want to leave. And so having the qualifications to one, know and recognize that situation, but also know when to step back and when to um, uh, refer them out to proper support or even in some cases, authority support right and i know there's the whole thing with client privilege per, um uh, um client privilege privacy there's the word i'm looking for i was gonna say personality yeah privacy but yeah. when someone's yeah. life is genuinely genuinely in danger and not because you're assuming it but because they're actually saying it you know that's a whole nother ball game and a whole nother can of worms that equally requires that training and understanding to be able to even deal with and touch. And so I really love what you're saying because not only does it help bring the, un, like an oversight really of just the, the look inside of people's lives and what you could be dealing with, 
but also knowing that, you know, I'm going to have it in the show notes, Cynthia's beautiful decorated background. And, you know, you don't need all of it, but it is important to have some of it. Personally, I'm not licensed, but I've spent the last four years working towards a degree in psychology because I knew from the beginning of starting with coaching, always first and foremost, before you even touch a client, make sure you have crisis management. <laughs> that's my, that's my like, yes, practice, right. But, um, you know, build on those skills, because if you genuinely are there to help people get better in their lives, one, you need to know your boundaries, but you also need to have the skills to be able to support them appropriately. And so my, I'd love for you to take a moment just to jam out on whatever came up for you with what I shared. And I have two more questions for you. And I'm really loving this conversation. (laughs) And, and, and just, just to be aware that just because we are trained doesn't mean that training ever stops either because we are continuously educating ourselves. I mean, right now I'm taking more classes at Yale. So just because we're trained doesn't mean we stop. You know, we continuously are training. More things are coming up. We're constantly certifying ourselves on more things. New things come up. And the things is, is that people think, oh, once once you get done, you're done. That does not appear anywhere. I wish there was a book that told us that's true, yeah. which is not true. <laughs> so not true, guys. Um, you constantly, because if you are in this, um, if you are in this kind of business, if you decided I'm going to be a life coach, but I want to deal with trauma and I want to deal with trauma-informed informations, and I want to deal with narcissism, and I want to deal with domestic violence, or I want to deal with mental health issues that deal or are around these issues, you're never going to stop training. There's always going to be trainings, whether it be hospital trainings, whether it, it be relational trainings, whether it be trauma, whether whatever it is. You're constantly going to be training, strangulation. Uh, There's so many things you constantly have to be educating yourself because there's new things that come out. And just like our phones are constantly, we have to keep constantly getting a new one because the new updates, the new whatever, it's the new things with us too. We constantly have to be coming up with the new things for ourselves because it never ends. It just never ends. I'm sorry to tell everybody that. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) But how beautiful to be able to continue to grow in your skill set of helping others. Because you never never know when, you know, a family member or a friend ends up needing your support, you know, more than your online growing business, right? And so having those skills and continuing to develop those skills to one, be able to tell the signs so that you can apply it to your life, right? One of the biggest things when it comes to mental health crises is is people don't reach out because they start isolating. They feel alone. Even if you're texting them and telling them and sending them the letters and the notes and the posts and posting bell self-help day, right? When people are in that state, they're not reaching out. And so to develop your skills, to know when to take notice of these things, to be able to then know what to do to take a next step forward. Right. And so I find that even when working with clients, 
um, when we bring up some of their past that is traumatic, they will want to regress and start to isolate and pull back. And so it's knowing how to go slow with them and to bring them back to a place where they're ready to speak and to share because not everybody's ready to just start brain dumping verbal diarrhea, all their problems from their past, right? <laughs> so it's having the skill. I love what you I said. might have to copyright that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one I just <laughs> sorry no it's good that's so good copyright that immediately <laughs> well it's so true isn't it we just assume that people want to solve their problems and that they're just going to open up and spew them but the truth is that if you're actually yeah. <laughs> in an experience you know, it's not your best friend who always calls you about, you know, their shitty boyfriend or their shitty whatever, right? It's, you know, when you're helping people who actually want to help themselves, they actually tend to not say as much. They tend to actually not yeah. tell you very much, right? And so it's just yeah, knowing yeah. how to navigate and deal with that, right? So I love that. Yeah. It's, it, it makes me laugh every time because I think we have one understanding of what it's like to support people because we always have that person in our life that wants to just tell you all the problems. But when it comes to like people who actually want help, they actually tend to not tell you their problems, which is a really interesting dynamic. Isn't that lovely? And you're like pulling on those strings going, yeah, yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> but the ones that the ones that have need no help at all, they're just like, let me tell you everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, please don't tell me anything else. <laughs> yeah. Don't tell me. It. Don't tell me more. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I get so, it. I'm there. Yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> Cynthia, I have one more question for you. And then I'd love for you to let everybody know where they can come find you. We're going to make it super yeah. easy for you guys to go and find Cynthia in the show notes. Make sure you go and reach out to her. Let her know what you took away from this episode. We as hosts love to know yeah. where our message is landing and what you're taking away from it most. Uh, so my next question for you, again, kind of a loaded question, but just what comes up for you. So as you work a lot with um, child sexual molestation and abuse and, you know, all the things that come with that, and we see this, this um, narrative being pushed in our society of constantly subjecting our children to um, sexualized adult material, like drag drag kings and or queens in libraries and we see this push for you know bringing sexual talk into um, books and into classrooms at super young ages I'd really love to know from you what based on your background you know being able to speak to this as an expert dealing with this what is your take on all of that again I know it's a loaded question but <laughs> no I like it. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's funny because um, we're so inundated with things in our social media, too, which now kids are seeing things younger and younger. They have phones all the way till the age of I, I mean, I saw a child that had a phone at the age of seven and I'm going, well, who are they calling and why do they need it? You know, do they have a contacts list? And I would like to know. <laughs> um, but the games, I mean, video games are getting more abusive, more violent, and, you know, more belligerent in their 
issues of sexuality and things that they don't know how to deal with. Schools are now wanting to address the issues of sexuality when the child has no mentality to be able to rationalize what is their sexuality or what is the proper norm to address, correct? Um, we are pushing our own narrative on children's. And so instead of giving them the opportunity to to flourish, right? Um, we never had a society as, um, as unkiltered as we have right now. We, we really have a society where we are pushing, like I said, we were pushing our narrative on children. And we, we're thinking that children have the mentality to understand it when, when they don't. They, they don't understand it. I think a child understands the basics of I'm angry and I want it back, right? I'm, I'm, I'm jealous, but I can get over it. That is mine. Give it to me, um, you know, until a certain age. And they understand a certain amount of isolation and, and things like that. Right. Because those those things go back to, you know, um, studying certain aspects of a child. Right. Um, but being able to push our narratives on children really cause us to really hurt every single child, give them some time to grow. Um, and so just what, like, even when I'm educating teenagers, cause I do education for teen dating violence curriculum and I educate them. I have found that even teenagers have a sense of not knowing who they are. They don't know yet, you know, and certain teenagers have questions, you know, they question themselves. They question battering issues. They question relationships. They don't know. I mean, I had one young boy when I was teaching them about teen dating violence. I had one young boy that came out to me and said, I had no idea that I was being abused by my girlfriend. And that's a boy, you know, and what we do is that we, like I said, we push our narrative so much on young little kids and we want them to understand when they don't, they don't get those sort of ideas. They don't get those. Um, and what we're doing is we're causing consequences that are going to be harmful in the long run, really bad consequences. Um, we see right now uh, we're, we're, we're really, you know, causing consequences on a lot of things right now. You know, a lot of young boys, young girls um, who, who are testing out the rivers of things that they shouldn't be until they're older, you know. And, and, and what they do is their parents are saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm all for it. Let's do this. You know, instead of letting them explore, you know, their their mentality of their sexuality, explore who they are as an individual, letting them know. I mean, I, I wanted to be, you know, uh, I wanted to be a ballerina when I was younger. Am I a ballerina now? You know, no, I'm a therapist now. When we try to indulge in every single thing that our children want to be when they're little and they're in middle school 
and tell them, yes, let's do this. I'm going to indulge you in this. And then think that they're going to want that when they're in high school and then older. It causes a catalyst for them to hurt and harm them mentally. And then they themselves will hurt and not want to speak to you, yeah. you know. And that's why I just and, and again, I, I don't want to put my own opinion on that just because I just see I see what the the coming age is going to be. I see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see it. And I, and I feel that main and that I feel that many schools have to be trained on certain issues um, that are not, you know, we need to also educate the government on certain that are not being trained on. They're just pushing narratives that they may not, may not have to. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, for me as a parent, my biggest thing is that, we're teaching teachers to one take over parental role that is not something that they're equipped to even deal with or handle. The other thing for right. me too is that it by nature in any other year other than like two or three years ago, this would have been criminal and predatory. And so for a lot of these things to get pushed, like you said, you know, kids say the darndest things, they're going to be a ballerina tomorrow, they're going to be an army guide next day, and so on and so forth. But when we push it to the point where we allow where where we who are supposed to be their foundation and security, push them so far as to, you know, change their gender at a young age, they're they might not want that in high school, they might not want that as an adult. And as a parent, you've essentially mutilated and castrated your child because you indulged in a, in a hyper fantasy. And, you know, that's not always easy to hear, but I get, we love truth over here, but it it is one of those things. It's a hard conversation to have. And that's the thing, a child within the spectrum, they don't really know their own ideas. They don't know their testosterone. They don't know their hormones. They don't know. They're following the crowd. They're thinking, well, I may feel like a girl or I may feel like a boy. They have to be, I mean, give them time to flourish, to know what you know, who they are as an individual, but you are telling them, giving them the narrative, letting them follow their friendships. And then in the long run, what they're doing is you're changing their hormones, putting in testosterone, giving them shots that maybe not be reversible later on, changing their voices. I mean, all of these injections are very dangerous, extremely dangerous dangerous and then when and when a child decides they're not getting what they want because there's been a couple of cases already where a child has gone to their counselor and said I feel this way but my parents won't let me then it puts the parents in danger because they are not following the child's you know, narrative of what they want. We really have to be very cautious right now, what we're doing, how we're mutilating our kids. We're just hurting them. Well, and even in Canada, they passed a law where if a child goes to a counselor and says, let's assume they're a boy, they say, I want to be a girl, but my parents won't let me. 
the the teachers, well, the school has the authority to go to child services and have that child removed from the parent's care. And I think yes. that, I mean, this conversation could literally go on for two more hours at this point, but um, I, I want to be respectful of your time, but this stuff fires me up because I think when it comes yeah. to parenting, you know, we're not perfect. As a therapist, you're always learning, but there is some fundamental factual truths that we have to predicate our lives in our society on, and especially our developing children, because, you know, you working with mental health, how damaging is that for a child who doesn't understand that sometimes the sky is blue and gray and can't conceptualize that there's weather changes, let alone hormones and things in their own physical body, bills and taxes, like that's all over their heads, right? And then yeah. to take away one fundamental truth that Tommy, you are a boy, Susan, you are a girl, and to push them into the society, not even knowing the basics of who they are, how detrimental is that on their mental health? Because we're seeing a yeah. society decline mentally while pushing for mental care, but also stripping fundamental truths out of society that would actually help them to stand mentally at least on a ground that they could build from yeah and the thing is this is the thing let me pull a little bit out of this they're declining our mental health treatments but they're increasing our our medical treatments because they want people to medically you know be helped in these transitions right but they're declining our men- mental health treatments so they're pulling away insurances so that they don't get anti mental health treatments which causes me to want to ask more questions of policymakers in saying what the person needs is more mental health. They need quality care with mental health, but we're pulling all this quality care that would have helped, you know, so that we can properly assist them to understand, well, what is it that, you know, makes you feel like you are a boy or what makes you feel like you are a girl, but they're pulling these uh, mental health you know, assistance, uh, especially all insurances are looking into it like we need more medical care. And really, we should be under the umbrella, more under the umbrella of of that medical care facilities. And, And really, a child should be going to a mental health provider before they feel like they go and do any transition, before they go to any care, uh, any of this. We should have a very long, extensive mental health care, not only for the child, but for the parents. Yes. Who are deciding these things on a child. Because this is still a child. I still believe even a teenager should still go through certain kind of mental health, even with their parents. And nobody should take away the rights of a parent at all. But what we're trying to do is help you to understand what is it that made you feel. Because sometimes we can go into a storyline with with a teenager and start off, which I have start off on a story and then they'll tell me something. Well, my uncle did this, or this is what happened. 
or and then we start to really pull like i said pull at strings we start pulling at strings and start to realize why they feel the way that they feel um that's why i say the things that i say is that we really need quality care uh quality mental health care for children you know um make quality decisions with their parents and then also discuss things with their parents uh, because some parents like to indulge their children we need to find out why why do you feel that your child you know needs to have this transition you know and sometimes parents indulging is not great you know because Susie decides she wants to be a boy. Well, let's find, let's go more into depth with this, you know? Um, and, and I think also with politicians wanting to be on the right side, (laughs) you know, we also, as medical professionals, mental health professionals, we have to get on board and start talking to them, you know, explaining how we feel, you know, really talk to them. Listen, there's more that we need to provide to you to make quality decisions um, for our state. You know, how this is affecting children in the long run. You know, I mean, if, if if it's age 21 for them to get a pack of cigarettes, if it's 21 for them to drink, then why is there not an age limit for for this? Yeah, you know, there should be an age limit for this. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, if it's an age limit to get a pack of cigarettes, let them have an age limit. You know, I, I'm I not going to have my kids smoking a pack of cigarettes because they tell me I like the way they look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the craziest thing for me is that on one hand, we're, we're wanting to preserve childhood and imagination and play. But then on the other hand, we're also trying to treat them like adults when they just truly aren't mentally, physically, emotionally, and and cognizantly. And so it's really a dangerous game that we're playing. Okay. I know I said I had one final question, but just because you pinged this, I'm like, I got to get this in here because it's really going to just put this in a bow. (laughs) For you being an expert in this field, when you see children, young adolescents, teenagers, even young adults go through these mental health crises and, and eventually end up in, you know, abusive relationships or in um, sex trafficking or in, uh, in, you know, the areas where they shouldn't be, whether that's people's homes or places, dangerous places in their lives. What is the, I mean, this it's not meant to be a statistical, statistical question, but um, what is the likely chances that they're in those positions because they're, they didn't have security with their parents? The highest chance is about 90%, you know, and the reason why I say this is because most children who are human or sex traffic is because they were looking for security with that person or that that individual who was looking to give them security. Um, most people who come from very low income families and then the young girl gets sexually or human trafficked, um, usually a young man will come to them and say, hey, I can provide you with money. I can provide you with 
whatever you need. And I know your mom or your mom, you know, it's a single parent. I know your mom can't provide it, let's say, you know, now when they come from an abusive, if they go into an abusive relationship, it's usually because they've seen that themselves, you know, they've seen abusive relationships and say, well, this is normal. I've seen this. It's this normal thing. And so if, if my boyfriend or girlfriend hits me, it's normal. Um, it's like the young man I was just talking about. He himself thought it was normal. And so I didn't have a chance probably to talk longer with him. Had I had a chance longer to talk to him in my office, I would have figured out that he probably had that in his family, you know, um, or either his mom was abusing his dad because his girlfriend was abusing him. And he thought that that was normal. It was okay. That screaming and yelling and physiologically and, and mentally abusing somebody is okay. Um, and we find that many children um, who come or get involved in those kind of relationships find those kind of things to be normal, you know? And then when they go to college, um, it's hard for them to get out of those bad relationships because they've gone from high school into a bad relationship to college into a bad relationships. So we have to really start changing their mentality, the way that they think think of relationships. Now, when they get out of high school into adulthood, you know, that's when it gets really traumatizing because they've been in so many relationships that have traumatized them. Um, then it gets to a point where it's like, well, this is normal for me. I've done this. I've been in so many relationships that abused me, you know, or when a child has been human and sex trafficked, and has been doing drugs and, you know, finds heroin to be a normal, you know, um, and now can't get out of meth, can't get out of heroin, can't get out of doing all those things. It's usually because there was a dysfunctional home, you know, and, and, and mostly it is that now there are some, there is a very low percentage or the home is okay. Parents are loving. They're loving home, loving parents. Everything is okay. But the child accidentally fell into a bad mishap, bad relationships, you know. Um, and that's what happens, you know, really happens. Oh, I really, really love this episode. I, You are absolutely speaking to my heart. And I know that I have a lot of mamas in my um, community and in our in our audience and equally um, in a Facebook group the other day I was having this conversation with a woman where I was talking about just like a fundamental basics of how a lot of these things that we're subjecting our children to are predatory and it will we're allowing our kids or giving our kids the permission subconsciously to grow up thinking that these things are normal when they're not and down the road they're gonna have to go through therapy to unpack it when they realize their when they realize their parents subjected them to child abuse uh, under the guise or idea that this is fun and this is exciting and this is normal 
when it just really wasn't. So I really love what you're sharing. I think it brings so much value to the mom who maybe doesn't know what to do with all the things going on in the world because there are so many. And at the very least, you know, she can start with thinking about what she's exposing her child to. For our coaches, they can think about, you know, what skills that they have where they can lean into to develop to really be able to take on this role of supporting others more genuinely and um and uh uh legally <laughs> appropriately, right? Yeah. So this was an insanely beautiful episode. I am so, so grateful that. I had a mishap with volume at the beginning. We figured it out. I'm so glad this worked out, Cynthia Hale. I, oh, you are just a beautiful light in this world. The work you are doing is so valuable and important. We need more voices like you on the stages with the microphone, letting people know that, you know, it's not about being perfect, but there is a right way to do it. And to continue to educate yeah. these people who are pushing policies that they don't know what they're pushing. And so thank you for the work that you do and the contribution that you are yeah. making to this world. Like It is so, so beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. I, I, you know, anything that I can do to help you and help others, I am always here. I love being able to um, change narratives um, and ideas of what people think um, is going on in our society. And we have to be able to, um, you know, especially with our kids, uh, we have to be able to, you know, let our, our children know that we're here for them. We have to be in their computers and their phones. Yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, not only that, and it's not an invasion of privacy, it's just to be able to converse with them and say, I'm here for you. You know, I see, you know, I constantly say this to my children. I see you. I hear you. I am here for you. You know, and whether you want to speak to me today or tomorrow, I'm here for you. Yeah. And that is something that both of my sons have always known. And I know sometimes when they're frustrated, they don't want to hear that. <laughs> but letting children know, I see you, I hear you, I am here for you, lets them know and opens up a door to know, you know, no matter what's going on in my life, my parent is here for me and they do hear me. They do see me. I am not invisible. Um, and whatever's going on in my life, um, I can definitely depend on my parent. Um, and I think children, even teenagers, adolescents, um, depend on their friends. And we need to start changing things for them to depend on their parents and, um, and their parents depending on us. You know, I can't, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. You know, there's no real guide to being a parent, um, but we're here um, to help you with, with whatever you need, you know, um, as behavioral therapists, um, licensed practitioners, as, you know, psychologists and psychiatrists, we're all here to, to help you not be a parent for your child, but help you and guide you down the path of the journey, yeah. you know, um, so you can have a, a better journey alongside with your paint, with your child. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Cynthia, can you let everyone know where they can find you and what you have going on right now? 
So you can definitely find me at www.fftehelpingotherswellness.com. Um, and um, you can find my book on Amazon, which um, it's a great book. It's, um, you know, the a path to journey um the father's you know the the father's love so you can definitely find my book there just type in my name and you will find all my books if you want children's books they're on there too um and right now we like i said before um the domestic violence rally is one of probably our biggest things that we try to to do that's probably our biggest event um, so the walkathon that we do in Washington, D.C., we like to collect a lot of people, a lot of voices. Um, you know, we have sororities that are going to be there. Um, you know, if you're part of a sorority and you want to bring your sorority sisters, if you're part of, you know, a, um, a college and you want to bring on that college, we'd love to invite you. But walking um, in solidarity um, from the White House to the Capitol, knowing that we stand together um, through the fight of domestic violence and human and sex trafficking and child abuse and all of these things, sex sexual assault, military, domestic violence, we are fighting the same fight. We're all, all of us together. And what we want to do is bring... Um, we want to bring attention to these things. And, you know, we want to make sure we bring attention to those who have died uh, of, of these causes too. There's many people who have died of domestic violence. Um, and also the bills that are, are, are going out there, one in specific is a good friend of mine. Her, her name is uh, Michelle. She's actually doing Britney's Law and um, she's amazing. And so we want to make sure that we bring awareness to to those laws that really um, are important. Wow. Yeah. So um, yeah, I, I hope to see everybody there in October. October 1st is our, our day of walking. <laughs> so please come out. I'd <laughs> love to see you guys there. Um, so we walk, we walk there and then we also walk here in our state in Florida, um, in Volusia County. So we're going to be doing that as well. And um, I hope that um, everybody will do in their city, in their area, in their little part of town. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Cynthia, so much for being here with us today. It was truly an honor and a pleasure getting to know you and having this conversation. And like I said, you guys go reach out, let her know what resonated with you. And if you need her support, there's her website in the show notes. You can go and check her out. Thank you again. Before you go, I would love and appreciate so much if you could take a moment of your time to leave a five-star review. It helps me to be able to get this message out to so many more in the world. And I am so truly thankful that you choose this place to be every single week. Until next time, don't forget to find the magic in today.